Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Uh, welcome, my name is Pat Lassard. I get to be one of the pastors here, and we are continuing on in our summer sermon series, and it's this one, Radical Love. And uh, what we do with our summer series, we always make them stand alone versus uh, our normal ministry rhythm and season. We have our sermons build off of one another from week to week uh, because our church flexes so much throughout the summer, people, you know, kind of coming and going, we have our messages stand alone. And so today we're continuing with radical love. And it's built off of our vision, which is, this is why North Shore Christian Church exists, is to see our communities change through hope in Jesus, one person at a time. How we go about that, we call it our vision path. And we're going to zero in on the second path, which is radically loving one another. That's what this series is based off of, radical love. And we look to Jesus' words. We don't have to look hard, look far within Jesus' life, within Jesus' teaching. In John 13, Jesus said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must... Love one another. By all of this, by, by this, all of the world will know that you are my student follower and are seeking to be like me. We call it a disciple. I love Scott's definition of love is love is complex. He said this. He said, love is the wholeness of Jesus known, experienced, and expressed by a person and then expressed towards others. So... We're going to be talking about uh, radical love. Now we're going to get into the Word of God today, and we have our ushers that are ready to come down. So if you need a Bible, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. They'll be glad to give you one of those. Speaking of radical, we look at Jesus and we see he is the definition of radical. As God is the definition of love, uh, it's not just what he does, it's who he is. We see Jesus is radical. It is, it is what he does and it's who he is. Breaking all social, cultural, and religious norms, he came down from heaven when he didn't have to. That was pretty radical on his part. Touching the untouchable, loving the unlovable, pretty radical. Reconciling the irreconcilable, redeeming and transforming the far gone and the lost. Dying on the cross as a perfect Innocent criminal, pretty radical. Not staying dead, that's pretty radical. I don't know about you, uh, but conquering Satan's sin and death in that defeat, pretty radical. And then sending his spirit to be with us, to be among us, to connect us with him, to empower us to walk out Jesus' likeness, pretty radical. And then he's not going to stay away. He's going to come back and redeem all things so that we would be forever with him because his love is so great. It's pretty radical, I'd say. So radical love. We don't have to look hard, look far in the life of Jesus. So we're seeking to be like him and love like he loves so that we could love others. Can I get an amen? That's, that's why we're here. That's what we're doing. Today, uh, this will be a fun one. We're talking about radical love and how it transcends offense. 
Nice and light topic. Transcending offense. Transcend meaning above and beyond. It, it rises above offense. And for that, we're going to look to the story of Philemon, which I want everyone to turn to their favorite verse in the book of Philemon. Um, uh, Philemon is a, it's the smallest letter written by Paul uh, towards the end of your Bible. If you're newish to the Bible, it's right before the book of Hebrews, which is a bigger book. Okay. So we're going to, you can turn there now. That's where we'll be. Um, and so I want to explain Philemon a bit and then we'll go ahead and read it because it's, it's pretty short. So we'll read the whole thing. Philemon is about radical reconciliation of relationships. And so I'm going to introduce you to some characters. We have Paul, the apostle, writing this letter um, and uh, instigating this, this reconciliation of relationship. You have Philemon, and then you have Onesimus. Philemon is a well-to-do citizen in the city of Colossae. When you think about Colossae, you want to think about the letter of Colossians. And we'll, we'll talk about that, okay? So you have Philemon well-to-do fellow that uh, is believed that he met Paul in Ephesus as Paul was on his missions trip and Paul actually led him to the Lord. Verse 19 of the book of Philemon leads us to that, which we'll get to later. And so Paul meets him, leads him to the Lord. Now Philemon is a well-to-do fellow uh, and he is a Roman patriarch. And so with that, like all Roman patriarchs, they had uh, household slaves. They had employees that they owned and, uh, and they had n- numerous of them. Onesimus is one of those. Onesimus is a slave owned by Philemon in this. Now, if we were doing a series on Philemon, we would do an overarching view and in-depth on lots of cultural things, historical things related to this topic. That's not what we're doing right now. So that's a whole nother sermon, a whole nother topic. We're talking about radical love and this uh, reconciliation of relationship in particular. So as the story goes, it's, it's believed that Onesimus did some wrong to Philemon. He stole something, he cheated uh, Philemon somehow, and then he ran away. And then he came and he met Paul. Somehow, some way, it's not known, but then Paul, as Paul is in prison for the gospel, he, Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord also. So you have Paul leading Philemon to the Lord at some point, this, this uh, well-known, well-to-do guy, and then this runaway slave, thief, cheat, he leads him to the Lord. So as Paul is in prison, he writes two letters. He writes a letter to uh, the church uh, of Colossae. It's called Colossians. And at the same time, he writes a letter, Philemon, this small little letter, this personal uh, relationship letter, okay? And there's a real close interconnectedness that we'll see within the two of these letters. So in this letter to Philemon, this personal letter, Paul appeals to Philemon. And he asks, please will you consider Onesimus not as a slave anymore, but as a fellow brother, equal to you and me in the Lord. And not even a runaway slave or a rebellious person, but receive him equally in the Lord. 
And he goes as far to say in, his, in Paul's radical love view, in his Jesus view, in his kingdom view, I want you to charge what he owes you, that debt, that sin debt, his wrong and what he owes you, I want you to legally charge it to me. And he takes legal responsibility for anything that is owed to him, he wants him to charge it to Paul. So I want you to get this picture. Paul goes as far in his radical love view to say, I want to take on this sin debt of this other onto me, charge it to me, so that there would be complete forgiveness and complete reconciliation. Who else do you think of when you hear that? Jesus. Paul is acting like Jesus. He's modeling Jesus. He's following Jesus, been changed by Jesus and committed to the mission of Jesus. He is a disciple of Jesus and he's making disciples of Jesus. He's leading them in Jesus' likeness. I love uh, Peggy Gray's comment about this uh, book and especially this, this part of it. She says, this is the gospel, not just illustrated, but demonstrated. He is walking it out. I love that. So with that, we're going to read. Everybody there? All right, now I got to find it. Hey, there it is. Okay. Paul, um, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister. That's believed to be uh, Philemon's wife. Okay. And Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Love that. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I led him to the Lord. Okay. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I love these healthy boundaries he's putting in place here. For this purpose is why he was parted, uh, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. 
to say nothing of you, you owing me your own self. He led him to the Lord, okay? Yes, brothers, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. I'll be able to come visit with you and stay with you. And then he closes with this. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So that's the letter. Now, I have a video clip that I want to show you, and I think it's, it's not the exact scenario of this, but it is, there's so many great parallels in this, in this story. It's about three minutes long, a little longer. It's from Les Miserables. And it's the story, the setup is this. There's an ex-con who recently was um, released from prison and he was hardened by the system. And he is uh, in transit, uh, wandering to get to his parole officer. And he comes across a godly man who takes him in and feeds him a meal and allows him to stay the night along his travels. And so watch this. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes, of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? 
Madam Gillo, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Radical love transcends offense. That's what we're talking about today. And so uh, t now when we talk about offense, there's kind of two different kinds of people. Okay, there's two kinds of people in the world, okay, that are offended here. Uh, number one, those who were legitimately hurt, wronged, slapped in the face, betrayed, slighted, cheated, maligned, misused, misled, wounded, harmed, taken advantage of, and they suffered wrong, insult, injury, or injustice. Okay? First kind. Second kind are those who are unhealthily hypersensitive to the other's thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and people just being different than them, and they take offense to that. We're not talking about the second group. Okay? We're talking about the first group. Okay? How many of you would consider you've ever been Legitimately hurt, wrong, slapped in the face, betrayed, slighted, cheated, maligned, misused, misled, wounded, harmed, taken advantage of, suffered wrong, insult, injury, or injustice. There you go. Many of us, okay? If not all of us, okay? So talking to the first group, radical love transcends offense. I believe every offended Christian can show radical love to their offender by these spiritual realities, by these principles that we're going to walk through that we see in this book of Philemon as well as Colossians. Starting with number one, God-given dignity trumps all human systems. God-given dignity trumps all human systems. We see this in Paul's appeal to Philemon in saying don't receive him back just in the way that you've seen him or your human system and our social structure and how it's been set up. Don't receive him back in that way. Far beyond that way, receive him as a brother, equal in the Lord, equal in the household of faith. Colossians, here's that tie-in. So as you look at Colossians, I cannot help but think Paul is thinking of this relationship of Philemon and Onesimus when he's writing these things in Colossians. Colossians 3, 9 through 11 says this. You have put off the old self with its practices. You don't do that anymore. You don't think that way in those human limitations anymore. And you have put on the new self which is Jesus, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. You have been made in God's image and God's likeness, and so has everyone else. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. That is crucial. That changes things. That is God-given dignity deserving of everyone, 
Next verse. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. And then what's that word? Slave, free. But Christ is all and it's Christ who is in all. Don't think in those limited ways. God-given dignity, radical love has in view, God-given dignity trumps all human systems. All human systems. It matters how you view people, and then we'll see how it plays out in how we treat people as well. Every offended Christian can show radical love to their offender as well by seeing that I am a sinner first, and then second, am, am I sinned against. Sinner first, sinned against second. What happens if you have that backwards? Their offense takes place, right? Dominant place, dominant view. And we lose the reality that it was Christ's love, right? That penetrated my heart first. And he calls me to follow him in his example. But instead, if I have that backwards, then I have a log in my eye and I'm trying to clear out the speck of somebody else's. Jesus says, take care of the log within your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly in order to remove the speck of somebody else's. He's not saying you don't have a part in that. He's saying your part is recognizing your first part starts with you. I am a sinner first Sinned against second. Keep that in check. Okay. Colossians 3.13 says this. Again, with Philemon and Onesimus in mind. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. What I'm hoping in this message is that the spirit of God will bring something, someone up in your mind. And perhaps it's a a previous relationship and something that has been dealt with. Or perhaps there's something that's still undone or something that's currently going on right now. That the Lord would guide you in this in some reconciliation that he desires for you, wants of you, is asking you to follow him in, trust him in, take steps of faith in. Every offended Christian can show radical love to their offender as we see that we are stewards, not owners. Number three, stewards, not owners. Now, I don't think any of you would think, I don't think I think about ownership in that way of like, hey, do you think you own somebody? No, you'd like never agree with that. Of course, no, I don't. But do you treat them that way? But do you treat them that way? Do you treat someone else in such a way that is against their dignity? Do you treat them in such a way that is as if you do have possession over them by how harsh you would be, how sharp you would be, how judgmental you'd be, how you'd have that priority of I'm a sinner first, sin against second, backwards. And it's more about them and their sin forgetting you and yours and the fact that you've needed mercy and you've needed grace and you've needed forgiveness. 
We are stewards, meaning we are managers. We are responsible that we will answer to God for the relationships that the Lord has entrusted to you. Whether you're a parent, whether it's friendships, whether you're a supervisor, whether you have a position of authority in, in whatever capacity, how do you treat others? Do you treat them like you're going to answer to God for that relationship? That's a steward. Or do you treat them like you own them? You can do whatever you want, say whatever you want, think whatever you want, treat them however you want. Colossians 4.1 clearly says this. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Are you treating others justly and fairly? Knowing that you also have a master in heaven, you will answer to the one who has ultimate responsibility and ownership over everyone else. I think it's interesting as well in Colossians that Paul says, uh, he calls out a couple other things, a couple other relationships in this same way. He says, not to pick on the men, but this is what I have underlined here. Uh, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That would mean you'd be acting like an owner. You don't have that authority. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not provoke them to anger and breaking their spirit, lest they become discouraged. Do you treat them like you're an owner? You don't own them. You're a steward of them. Similarly, I'd apply it to wives. Similarly, I'd apply it to moms, right? Are we treating people unfairly, unjustly? That's like we're an owner. That's not our place. We're acting out of our place when we do that. And that's a crucial part of every offending, offended Christian can radically love as they see themselves as I'm going to answer to God in how I conduct myself with the relationships that the Lord has entrusted to me. I, it's out of place if I act like I'm an owner of them and treating them unjustly, fairly, harshly, or any of those things. Number four is this. Reconciliation is always God's goal. Now, in your notes, it says restoration. But as I thought about it more, that's still very true. But more true is reconciliation. And so if you just scratch that out and write out or and uh, reconciliation. Reconciliation is always God's goal. Now, this is kind of a big one, and it's it's a complicated one, so we'll take a little bit more time here. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Every offended Christian can radically love their offender by seeing reconciliation as God's goal. Always. When you think about the broken, corrupt relationships that you've had, relationships that have fallen apart, your part, their part, God's part, do you have in view God's heart, God's desire is always reconciliation. Now, forgiveness is one thing. Forgiveness, I I don't need somebody else to participate in forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that I do in saying I cancel their debt, they don't owe me anymore. It's paid in full by the blood of Jesus. I, I, in faith, I trust, I, I submit that. I'm not taking control anymore. Jesus was punished for them. They don't 
You know, I, I want blessing for them. They don't need to be punished anymore. They don't owe me anything. That's forgiveness. Reconciliation requires two people to do their parts, however imperfectly, to do their parts in saying, I'm willing to do my part to make things right in humility and grace and love and forgiveness. God's goal is always reconciliation. He always desires relationships to be restored and reconciled. Now, there's a lot of complexities to this, okay? So there is God's part, my part, and their part. I cannot do God's part. He will alone do his part and he will always do his part and he'll always do it perfectly. Amen? I can't make him make someone else do their part. I can't make him change someone else's heart. Right? I can only do my part. However much my part is, I am 100% responsible for my part. If I messed up in a relationship, which I do and have and will, right, I am 100% responsible for my part. Nobody else is. God is not going to do my part. He will lead me to do my part, but he is not going to do my part for me. That's my responsibility. Can I get an amen? Their part is their part. I cannot do their part for them. They have to do their part for themselves. Now, I have an asterisk there with always, okay? It is always God's heart that there would be reconciliation. Now, he also knows it's not always going to happen. His heart is for the world, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would come to him that would not perish but receive everlasting life, right? Complete forgiveness and promise of eternity with him. And that's his desire. That's his goal. And he also knows many will not. God's desire is reconciliation for everyone, all relationships. But he also knows many will not. Many will not do their part. Right? And he also knows that there's some people that are unsafe. I'm talking in these generalities, I'm talking about 90% of the situations. But there are some exceptions to the rule that there's, let's say, a 10% for picking a number where there is uh, legitimate abuse and reconciliation of relationship to an abuser is not wise, is not best, is not what God wants. God does not tolerate sin, neither should you. I love Jesus' example. I'm going to point you to a book that was radical for me. Uh, Gary Thomas, he wrote a book, Sacred Marriage. He's, he's a guru on marriage. He also wrote a book called When to Walk Away. And he looks at Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry, and he talks about how Jesus avoided abuse, avoided abusers in and throughout his three years until it was time for him to sacrifice himself willingly through man's efforts, but he willingly sacrificed himself. No one took his life, he gave it. And so that, that exception to the rule is, it's not, oh, I should go back to my abuser, okay? 
So that's as deep and far as I'm going to get into this. If there's some things that are stirred up in the midst of this and you're needing wise counsel and wisdom, uh, we have a resource page on our website about uh, good biblical counselors in the area as well as please take advantage of us as, as staff and ministry leaders and pastors and elders. We'd love to walk alongside you to the best of our abilities, however limited those are, uh, in the midst of some complicated life things as we talk about this stuff, talk about these hurts and pains. Okay, um, where would we go from here? Every offended Christian can show radical love to their offender as well by understanding that forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is not optional. It's not like, well, if you feel like it, if you have those feelings, you know, if you can find it in your heart, then, you know, that's okay. But if you can't, hey, you know, it's all good. You know, if it's too hard, <laughs> you don't have to. You know, God's like, hey, you're off the hook. You get a, you know, get out of jail free card. Uh, Jesus is very clear on this. Matthew 6 says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you want forgiveness, you must forgive. If you don't want forgiveness, don't forgive. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. I think God means it. I, I really do. I think that why would God say such a hard thing? Isn't there, can't you just like more grace and more mercy? <laughs> you know, like can't you just like smooth that over with more grace and mercy? Like, hey, can I just be unforgiving? God's like, no. I, I, I don't give room for that. I don't give room for that in my kingdom. I believe he's wanting to motivate you. I believe he's wanting to motivate you to do the hard work. How many of you want forgiveness? You know, the opposite would be, how many of you want to be held, you know, to every wrong that you've done and suffer all the consequences for all of your poor choices and poor thoughts and all that stuff, compromises you've made? How many of you want that? No, I want forgiveness. Okay, well, if you want forgiveness, you have to be forgiving. You have to follow my example, God's, and do what I have done for you. That's the example. You have to do it. Well, you still have a choice in that. God's not going to make you. He's a gentleman. He's not going to make you do what you don't want to do. But he wants you to want it. I've shared this before uh, as well. There's a time in my life where I didn't believe I could forgive this person who had hurt me more than I uh, thought you could ever hurt. And I just prayed, <laughs> knew this, and I was in a pickle, right? I was in a predicament of like, how do I forgive this person? I want them to hurt as they hurt me. And so my prayer just simply started with, God, help me be willing that I'd even be willing to forgive them. Help me even just be willing that I'd even be willing to forgive them. And God answered that. He slowly worked in my hard, hurt heart to go to a place of like, Man, I want good for this person. I want a blessing over them. I, have, I hold nothing against them anymore. And that's radical love. That's just Jesus' work in, in my fallible heart. 
I love this picture regarding forgiveness. Um, Derek Prince said it this way. He says, you have in your hand an IOU of $90,000. A person or persons, they have wronged you and it, they owe you to the tune of $90,000. That's a lot of money. It hurts the fact that they have not paid you, right, and done right by you. And they owe you. Now, God, in his hand, he has a ha uh, an IOU from you to the tune of $90 trillion. That's more than all the money in the world, okay? And he says, I got a deal for you, okay? You tear up your IOU and I will tear up my IOU. But if you don't tear up your IOU, I'm not going to tear up mine. What are you going to do? Radical love, radical love by every offended Christian, sees forgiveness not as optional. As well, and we finish with this point, radical love from every offended Christian sees that reconciliation requires initiation. Reconciliation requires initiation. To initiate simply means to cause to begin. That you're willing to step into it, you know? So we see this in Paul's example. We see him, even though it's not his fight. Check this out. I love this. Okay, so Paul has the Holy Spirit in him. Philemon has the Holy Spirit in him. Onesimus has the Holy Spirit in him. Who's initiating what? Paul is. Right? He didn't have to. Philemon should have. Onesimus should have. But he didn't. Okay? Paul did. Paul, in his maturity, I think that's the difference, in his maturity and calling, obviously divine providence, that we'd be reading this today and being blessed by it and led by it and shepherded by it. But he initiated. He saw this brokenness of relationship. He led both of them to the Lord. He saw that there was this brokenness, this, this, this scheme of Satan uh, in tearing apart this relationship, this immaturity that's getting in the way of kingdom work. And how it's affecting the church and God's reputation. And he says, you guys got to step into this. I want to lead you in this. Reconciliation requires initiation. If you're not willing to do your part, what does God say? How does God feel about that? You know what often trips me up about having hard conversations when there's like hurt and pain and stuff? I typically think it's going to go worse. I catastrophize. I have this like, oh, it's going to go and then they're going to say and then it's going to be like this and then it's going <laughs> oh, to be horrible. Anybody else? Dude. And it keeps me stuck, stuck longer than I want at times. And then oftentimes, not always, sometimes it does go bad. Sometimes it does go worse. I had a fresh reminder of that a couple months ago when I made a hard phone call to reconcile with someone. And it, man, it finished worse. And I'm not in control of that. I was in control of doing my part. Did I, as I walked before the Lord, did I do my part? I did. It didn't go how I wanted it. That's okay. But oftentimes it does go better than what I'm thinking on the front end. Reconciliation and relationship requires initiation. It requires you to step in. Not to defend and fight more. Speak to the heart. 
What's going on? Speak to the heart. As we see this example, these are Peggy Gray's words again regarding this. We see that the gospel is really practical. It's not just for salvation, like I prayed a prayer and then I'm good. But how we extend grace in our relationships with one another within the family of God and beyond. What Christ has done for you and I, he expects us to do for one another. With that, we're just going to finish up with our response time here of, you know, what's your next step? And uh, typically we have a, a song that we finish with uh, to that just kind of leads us in, you know, vertical of going, okay, Lord, you know, I, I cast these things onto you and, I, um, and so on. But we just wanted to give you just a little bit more time in prayer. Okay, so we're just going to finish this time in prayer. Josh will lead us a little bit in this, but we want you to hear from God. We want you to just pause in the midst of this. This could have stirred up all sorts of things, all sorts of thoughts, all sorts of feelings. What is God saying to you? What's been going on? And is there, is there something that he's leading you to step into, change your perspective on, repent, simply means to change of mind. This is how I've viewed them, viewed this, viewed myself. God, and I'm changing my mind to see how you see it. I want to correct that to follow you in your ways. You and how you prioritize relationship. You and how you prioritize me doing my part. Or whatever it may be. We just want to give you some time, some space, connect with God. What's he saying to you? All of us are in relationships with people. It's messy. Every single one of us. Our parts, their parts, and so on. God's given us different responsibilities, influence over others. How are you conducting that? Whatever it may be. Have a conversation with the Lord. Let's pray.